Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Adrian Torres. He is the editor-in-chief of Boom Howdy, the host of the Horrorversary podcast, and has been dubbed the man no movie can kill. <laughs> welcome to the show, Adrian. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So I got to ask about the name, the man no movie can kill. Where does that <laughs> It, it it came from, if I'm remembering correctly, it would be the the person that you can find on Twitter as Vice Victus um, was was years ago. I I was just you know it, whether it be in like comment sections and places or or Twitter that I would just watch every single thing I could watch. Some things that people probably shouldn't watch, and I don't mean like because it was gross or grimy or anything like that, but just it was it was bad. And I had when I first tried to to start my hand at podcasting, I had a podcast that was called Phantom Zone, duh, with a D on the end so that we didn't get in trouble. And the idea was watching the worst 
worst, worst uh, films that were out there. And I'm not talking like a how did this get made type thing, but like the ones right. that are on IMDb and like 1.3 stars. <laughs> uh, like, have you ever heard of um, Beauty and the Beast, A Latter Day Tale? No. Sure haven't. No. Yeah. That's a that's a Latter-day Saints live action, no. not fantasy version of Beauty and the Beast. No. How is it? Uh it's a, it's exactly what you think. The Beast is just a regular guy who's kind of like a stuffy asshole Wall Street type. And what makes him a beast is that he used to be an alcoholic. Oh no. And oh. he also has a hot tub that is on the second floor of his house. That has like a cedar lattice type doors that close it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, those were the type of things that I was watching. So I have to ask, what would wow. you give that movie out of ten? Um, see, what what we did is we had basically uh, guilty or not guilty, ju- mm-hmm. just like in in Superman, and that if you were not guilty, it meant that while you were probably a bad movie, that people could find enjoyment in it in, in one way or another. And then guilty meant that we were going to send you into the Phantom Zone to basically save humanity from ever <laughs> having to watch the movie. That film did end up going into the Phantom Zone. Well, it's okay. funny that you say that because I am looking at IMDb right now, and it is currently at a 6 out of 10 Oh on my IMDb. god, it's gone up. When, when we saw it, <laughs> it was a 3.2. Oh, geez. So people have found this movie and something about it is resonating at least a little it's, bit more it's making a comeback <laughs> that's i'm i'm now gonna have nightmares of uh a, a grown adult man and like a very expensive uh london fog like fur ish jacket holding a giant bottle of what looks like crown royal but more expensive um <laughs> yelling at god and then throwing the bottle in a frozen lake oh my that sounds I mean, that sounds worth a 6.0 right there. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> you, you live your truth. That's all that matters. <laughs> okay. So uh, besides your, your moniker, <laughs> let's, um, let's go way back. How did you first get introduced to horror, the horror genre? The horror genre in films in general has always been with me since the beginning. Um, I, I know it kind of sounds like a weird origin story, but uh, for the first <laughs> three years of my life, I was misdiagnosed. Uh, with a disease and that's because in the 80s you know they didn't have medical advancements like they do now so when they were trying to see what I had they they couldn't really narrow it down so there were times that I would spend weekends in a hospital a week in a hospital while they did a whole bunch of tests and in the 80s when you were kind of in that group there would be depending upon like what hospital you're at they would kind of have a room where it's kind of like hey here's all the kids who've got problems that we don't exactly know where it is we're gonna keep (laughs) you all together and they had closed yeah, circuit fun. TVs in the corner that would, you know, show movies that were on a loop that somewhere they controlled it, but they would play movies on a loop to try to keep the kids entertained. Um, and they would play, you know, stuff like the Star Wars movies at the time, but then they would also play uh, certain times a day, like classic monster movies. Oh, okay. And so th- that's how I I basically, you know, got in touch with, with seeing like Frankenstein, you know, the Wolfman. And so being a kid who not only was misdiagnosed for several years, and then when they did diagnose me with what I have, that I was still in and out of the hospitals all the time. And my family ended up moving a whole bunch up until I was in like the fourth grade that I I always felt um, different. I always felt, you know, other. So these films really, really spoke to Mm, me. And so, you know, I would always try to find, of course, when you're younger, you try to find more accessible horror films that your parents will let you 
you you watch, but it it really <laughs> that outside nature um, and finding the films where people who were weird or were different were able to to band together with other people of the similar ilk really spoke to me. Okay, so cool. Um, I I mean I was a, I, when I was growing up in the eighties, I also was a fan of the the classic monster movies. Which one was your favorite? Which of the the monsters would you say? Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah. And I, I think it does stem in, in, you know, a weird psychological way, like like I said, being, you know, a, a kid and with other kids who were basically born into having, you know, one, one disease or another that you didn't really right. ask for, that mm. that's the thing that people are pointing to and treating you differently because of whatever type of disability you have. And that mm-hmm. you really have that with Frankenstein, you know, he didn't asked to look this way or, or be this right. way and he just yeah. wants to go about his life and it's not until he's really pushed into a certain corner that he he tries to react so seeing him just trying to go about his life and having you know the mob kind of come after them you 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 feel this sense of of companionship with him and then mm-hmm. of course uh, a film that i saw early growing up was the monster squad and you've got frankenstein uh, in there yeah. And- yeah i love the monster squad warts and all because uh, there are some <laughs> there are some yes. warts there, there are some problems, but that was the '80s. Yes, it was. <laughs> it certainly was. It, it's, it's always funny to like revisit movies that you grew up watching. Like, it's like, ah, I love the Monster Squad, for instance. And you, then you watch, and it's like, wow, there's a lot of homophobic slurs in here that are just casually yeah. tossed around. But it's still like, I still, I still love that movie. I mean, iconic Wolfman's Got Nards. I mean, can't get more <laughs> nar- iconic than that. Yeah, and Sing there Nard- was... Sing Nardconic. Yeah, I accidentally <laughs> okay, did. Yes, cool. I did. I just had to process that really quick. <laughs> Hashtag Sorry. Nardconic. Let's let's oh, put, let's God. get that. It's it's Nardconic in the annals of history. <laughs> oh, for the love of God! <laughs> this is this Amazing. is what I bring to the table. I appreciate uh, it. It's very good. It's a very good contribution. Um, I was going to say that last year we or not last year. Time has no meaning even in 2021, but in 2000 or maybe it was like. Like I said, time doesn't make it sense. But we had <laughs> Andre Grauer was here with Wolfman's uh, Got Nards, the the documentary about oh, yeah. uh, the film and everything. And and during the Q and A afterwards, he did address you know some of the things that don't really go over as as well. And that you know while making films and everything over time, you do learn that you know you shouldn't be saying things, of course. But at, it's still. Even if it's negative, it's still representative of how kids would have been at that time. Which oh yeah, no. We, we look at it now, and it's it's not great. But I mean, you're going to teach your kids that's not great now. No, it, it, it's true. It's a it's a valid point. It's just uh, it's kind of like whiplash when you're now an adult. You go back. It's like oh wow, I totally did not realize that they were calling each other these names. Like you just don't <laughs> you don't realize it as a kid. So besides the monster movies, um, what were some of your other horror favorites growing up? It was all over the place because I tried to watch uh, everything. Because, um, mm-hmm. like I said, being being the new kid, lots of times I, I was constantly retreating into to films because of the fact that they were escapism, and yeah. I always had a very you know overactive imagination. So, so I'm I'm the kid who I didn't have a ton of toys, but like the toys that I had, I would always invest and try to. To, to to grow more with so like i had a couple uh superhero figures and I had the hall of justice and then had two of the real ghostbusters and had the playset of mm-hmm. their their headquarters yep. and so i would have crossovers with them and so like yep. watching movies would would reinforce that so i would watch action i would watch mm-hmm. everything and 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 horror was kind of whatever you could get your hands on 
just because it was a weird time. So like when we had the HBO uh, weekends and stuff, I would always be the one who was sneaking up early when my parents were still, you know, sleeping and would try to record something that I know maybe I shouldn't record. And (laughs) maybe I would, you know, uh, take two tapes up when renting something at video library instead of one, because I asked (laughs) this one of my parents and grabbed the other one, which leads to good and bad things. Of course Always. it does. Always um, does. I have to go back to, did your parents hate the fact that you had that, uh, the, the uh, gosh, the Ghostbusters tower with all the slime? Because I remember my parents bought me that and then they were like, but you can't use the slime. <laughs> Same thing. No, I didn't. I never, I didn't get the slime. And that was my fault because about a year before that, they gave me Silly Putty. And oh, no. Silly Putty, I, of course, like everybody would do, you, you do the newspaper first. And then you're like, wow, this doesn't seem really sticky. What if I jam it into the carpet and then stick it up? Oh, jeez. And then there's a hole in the carpet and you're staying in an apartment and bad things happen. Yeah. I remember the one time that my parents did let me use the slime. It was like out on the kitchen table. They had newspapers down. So like from my imagination, I was like, this is stupid because I can't do anything <laughs> out here. It's on it's on freaking newspapers. Yeah. So when we finally settled in Kansas City, my mom through her friend ended up buying uh, they weren't connector sets because connector sets was metal and everything. But this mm. was um, were were tubes. And what you would do is you would stack the tubes on top of each other to kind of create like a maze for marbles. Oh, and okay. yeah, yeah. So, so that's what I had as opposed to all the goopy slime and stuff like that was so so I would I would build, you know, the crazy things. So the marbles, because if the marbles just got lost, it's easy to pick them up. Stepping on them and possibly falling, that's different. So you kind of have to decide, do you want like something stuck in the carpet or do you want to potentially step on something and possibly break your neck? <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. Mary Beth, what, what were your like uh, kids' toys growing up? I'm curious because you were in a little bit different era. Yeah. So the one thing that I always wanted but never could get was these – fuck, what were they? They were like these little dolls that you put on like a stand and you it was almost like a – you would – um like a top you would like pull a string and they would fly in the air and oh. they were like they were like the coolest things ever but my mom never let me get one because she knew i would break it and i never got one except for a happy meal like, okay so i was if, like well, we, of I, course I, I was gonna say so you never had the the pain of accidentally whacking yourself in the face with one of those <laughs> i did not i did not get that unfortunately i also really loved the bop it growing up oh the pop it is that that's the one with the little the ball with the like the thing to put your feet on right twist it pull it um and that and skip it i had a skip it that i played with so Mm -hmm. hard that the head popped off of it i always remember wanting and then getting and being really disappointed in the moon shoes (laughs) shoes. i'm for some reason, I'm I'm drawing a blank, but I oh, oh, oh yeah. yes, Mo- moon oh, shoes yeah, you know. aren't exactly shoes because you're strapping them onto your your <laughs> shoes, yeah, and it, and it's kind of like having a mini trampoline on your on each foot, but then trying to walk with that isn't really conducive. One of the first questions when you, when you Google moon shoes is, are moon shoes safe? And it turns out. <laughs> While they were never recalled, they were known to cause ankle fra- fractures and other leg injuries. Yeah, That's because amazing. when you're, because like you're trying to to compensate 
for for the steps that you're making because they wanted it to make it i guess to feel like you're like walking you're walking on the moon yeah with <laughs> yeah. with the gravity and so if you're compensating <laughs> as a child trying to figure out how do i do each step no that's not going to end well that's amazing that is amazing um, <laughs> so i mean that was a tangent but that was that was that was a fun toy tangent uh <laughs> so let's let's go ahead to being adult what what would you say draws you to horror now i mean that's the weird thing about horror is, is learning from a young age is how it can it can speak to so many different groups of people mm-hmm. and i think what i love about horror and what you realize as an adult when you when you dive into it and what I think lots of people who aren't fully into horror don't know until they start to steep into it is how expansive it is. And that horror is, is everything. It's why it's one of my two favorite genres that and sci-fi, because when you look at them from the outside and you tell somebody, Oh, I like horror. I like sci-fi. Their mind goes only, you know, to the most minute and, and smallest uh, idea of what it could possibly be. And there's so much to it because you can, you can add anything to horror. You can add anything to sci-fi. Yeah. And you can't do that with every other, you know, genre that exists out there. And so while, you know, there's there's plenty of other genres that might feel like they're they're exclusive, horror can be inclusive because you can have it be about anything and you can have it be for anyone. And the ability to, you know, have any type of allegory or uh, metaphor or larger social issue that you have you know, tied into it makes it special and unique in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I completely wow. agree. I love horror movies. <laughs> just like <laughs> hearing, hearing answers like that always just reminds me how much like I love horror movies and how just how cool they are. And, and I, and like I said, at the, at the beginning with it speaking to me as a, as a kid for feeling, you know, uh, other and an outsider, once you get older and th- there's so many different people in life who, who have that feeling. And I think that's what draws people to, Horror, And I think that's why when you look at lots of uh, in a social media age, when you have lots of communities, uh, you know, that are popping up online and stuff, the the one that does have infighting, but then also, you know, because there's so many of them, but then it's also really, you know, can be well grouped together is something like horror, because you have these people who are finding a genre and are loving the genre for the same way, and they want to share it with other people. And when you find other people who like that same thing that you like, you feel a little bit less alone and more okay in the world. I couldn't say it better myself. Seriously. So, okay. And watching horror uh, now as an adult, do you still feel scared by horror? I mean, we talk to a lot of people who are kind of a little jaded to it, but do you still ever get kind of scared when watching a horror film? I like to try to scare myself. I like to find something <laughs> uh, that I think will scare me. For the most part, the things that, that have scared me over the years and, and have, haha scarred me for life. <laughs> he said it. He said the name of the show, guys. <laughs> yeah. Do I, do I win anything? <laughs> 17 minutes shot. in. We're done. We're done. Um, <laughs> but no, it's the, like those are the ones that, that bother me. And I will get, you know, slightly squeamish, but I don't really get scared. I think there's very few movies uh, that I've recently seen that that have scared me. I think I'm trying to remember the name of it, but the documentary about sleep paralysis. Oh, Nightmare? Oh, Is that Nightmare? Nightmare? Yeah, that, that's that's the one that got me. And like that, that was the closest thing to being scared because it's something that you can't fully explain and it's something you don't have. Mm 
control over. So like that idea getting stuck in my head. And then the only other thing recently that scared me is a movie that's not recent at all is Needful Things. Um, That's come up quite a few times recently, weirdly enough. Well, it's as I mentioned earlier, you know, that I I spent um, years in the hospital being misdiagnosed. And that's because I have uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis that's in my whole body. And normally it's like based in certain areas like they they normally have three different types or or when i was growing up there are three different types and the problem they were having is i had it outside what those zones would normally be because i had it in my entire body so when i saw needful things for the first time last year and it got to the scene where bonnie bedelia has a necklace taken off of her and her hands wither up with the arthritis oh yeah i'm like I saw it and I'm like, no, fuck you, movie. Fuck you. It's it's not the kid wow. threatening to kill himself that with the gun that bothers me. No, it's her hands withering up because that's something I'm worried about is going to happen when I get older. Oh, my God. Wow, that's existential Jeez. right there. <laughs> I haven't, you know, I haven't seen Evil Things in in forever. Has Does it still hold up, would you say? It, it fits into that pantheon of films that it's it's fun. And when yeah. it's working, it works really well. Uh, there's plenty of goofy aspects and and some overacting and and some, some goofy aspects in the novel. Yeah, and, and and that comes through in the film, but it's <laughs> I I never think it's to the detriment of it, and I think okay. it's a out of the Stephen King adaptations, I think it's one that gets slept on a lot because it doesn't have uh, anything that that really punches through. Like mm. it, it's really fun, and you enjoy it when you're watching it. It's got lots of great actors. But there's nothing to to have it stand out of the way like a misery will, will stand out, you know, right, right. where, you know, Shawshank Redemption or, or any of those films from that same time period that people normally go to is because it's not as big as those movies. Uh, that's fair. I really want them to do like a, a limited series adaptation of it now on like HBO or something like they did with The Outsider, because I I really it's one of my favorite of Stephen King's books. And I'd like to see it come back. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's Stephen King. Every single year, he's getting one to two things, you know, optioned up for you know a new movie or TV yeah. show. So it's it's overdue. One more question before we move into the creative stuff what What would you say is your favorite horror movie as an adult? Oh God, that <laughs> see that's difficult because I I bounce around yeah with with a whole bunch of things. I I don't know if there's one that I that I normally like fully hang on to because i i know there's plenty that that'll stick in my mind that i'm like oh i i I love the blob i'm gonna watch it like every year but then you feel kind of burnt out and you 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 take like a moment off i know somewhere megan navarro wants to stab me in the back for saying that Um, (laughs) the blob is perfect i love the blob is but i mean there's there's plenty movies that i bounce around with i'm for for years was absolutely obsessed with uh cemetery man oh okay i have not seen that one it's i i love i i still enjoy cemetery man i i've haven't watched it and i think like maybe two three years just that's kind of ever, distancing. Right? yes yeah. um almost every single version of it that's existed i have had at one time or another i had a vhs i had a uh i think it was a laser disc i know i definitely had the vcd which oh, is wow yeah, uh, and I still have the DVD of it. Um, haven't been able to get one of the foreign Blu-rays yet. It doesn't seem like it's really available, <laughs> readily available <laughs> in the United States. I was looking it's at a Amazon weird-ass once. movie. Yeah, I, that's that's what I've heard. That, I've always wanted to see it, but like I look at Amazon and they're like DVD is one hundred sixty-three dollars. Jesus. No, 
No, uh, no, thank you. That's that's why I hold on to DVDs like for a long period of time. That's why I held on to my Anchor Bay Blu-ray of uh, Dawn of the Dead. Oh yeah, because until like the the 4K that came out, which of course is sold out most places now. Like, do you have that one? That's what I want. Don't. I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll just mutter over here. <laughs> I did buy that one. Um. Okay. So, how did you get? <laughs> I just this left, the, just just left like, the podcast. Yeah, he just left. Gone. It's, it's over. We're done. <laughs> I'm, I'm muting myself for the remainder. <laughs> so, you're a writer now. How how did you get into writing about horror, and then eventually, how did you start Boom Howdy? Uh, did you I, start Boom Boom Howdy? Or no, no, no. I mean, okay. that's well. I'll get to. I'll, I'll try to make this as short as possible. Um, cause it's, it's been something that's been in and out of my life for forever when everyone was being asked when they were younger, what they wanted to be when they grew, grew up and people were like an astronaut, a firefighter. I always got the weird looks because I said newspaper film critic, Oh, not, not joking about that. And it's because of, of the love that I had of, of films and, and everything I would, you know, buy the the Roger Ebert books, you know, every year Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. when we got set in Kansas city and the mid nineties, I always would read the newspaper for the Kansas City Star and would read their their main film critic who weirdly enough, because the way life works, ended up becoming a family friend and kind of became uh, a mentor oh, wow. to me. In high school, they didn't have really anything that was filmed. So I got into theater and then was told, you know, by somebody, hey, you should join the newspaper. And they didn't have a film critic on there. So I kind of said, Hey, you don't have arts and entertainment or anything. Is there any chance that I can write about movies in general? So I started doing movie reviews for the newspaper. And the first press notice that I got to go to a screening ever was uh, the Musketeer. Wow. The, the, the Wushu one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A film that no one has thought about in years. I had not thought about it. You just (laughs) mentioned this. I was like, wait, is that that one from like 2001 maybe? Yes. Um, and then I, I went off as you do to, to film school, got some bad advice from a counselor that it turns out has been giving bad advice for almost 30 years. Oh Um, God. Yeah. I I found that out last summer when I was talking to somebody in Chicago and they're like, Oh, you, you went here. Was this your counselor? Is that what made you take time off? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, Oh yeah. They're notorious for just being the worst. And I'm like, Oh, Oh. That's that's great. Um, Where did you go to school in Chicago? Uh, Columbia College, Chicago. Oh, okay, cool. And then because of just things that happened in life, ended up back in uh, Kansas City, worked in the movie theater industry uh, for years with AMC and then managing a couple indie houses and decided that I liked the idea of weekends. So got a job that wasn't involved <laughs> in there. And my my now wife um, at one point when I was, you know, being on a whole bunch of message boards for for various websites and commenting and stuff she goes do you want to do something with film and i'm like yeah i'd like to to write but i mean at this point in time you can't really make any money off of it and and she's like well just find a way to do it so i just started casually doing some writing online and some friends that i had made here um who are podcasters one of them said hey you should talk to this guy who has a website in town he's always looking for writers and so I threw in and said, hey, I will write anything. I will uh, review whatever movies no one else wants to do. 
and wrote for them for a couple years at, at Boom Howdy. Um, and then the founder ended up saying, hey, uh, I think I'm going to step away from this. Is there any chance that 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 you would want to to keep it going? And I was like, yeah, I definitely want this to be you know part of the community here. And then took it over and was we started things back up because it was offline for a couple months and started back up at the beginning of last year. And then the pandemic hit. Oh, look <sighs> at that. That fun thing. So there, there wasn't as much right. I mean, I was still doing reviews, just not as much as I'd done in the past. And then also started writing for uh, the Pitch Weekly here in town just to keep myself writing. And so like the last couple of weeks, uh, I'm, I'm building a whole bunch of ideas and stuff that I want to do for this year to get more people involved. Because when I took it over, one of the things that I wanted it to be was a repository for anybody who wanted to do any type of writing. I don't really have any money to give them. But if it's something like, hey, do a little bit of writing. And if you want me to apply for you for South by Southwest, Fantastic Fest, Nightstream, anything that's out there, I will do that just so you can get your voice out there more. That like that's that's what I want to do with the site. And because of how crazy this last year's been, that's that's my goal to really push forward this year. Because I, I think that everybody who's out there, you know, deserves a chance. And if if I can't give you money, I at least want your voice to get out there so that you have something to put out and show a place that can that can give you that chance and get you money that I might not be able to to do. Hell yeah. Hey, I love that. I love that. I feel like that's a big thing that's been happening in the past couple of years and like you know terry you have a similar situation with your site like people that right. like i'm i know i can't pay but i want to help and i feel like writing can be so overwhelming and kind of scary it's been so nice to have so many people be like i want to help you though and like we can it's like it always feels very competitive sometimes i think get in my, in my own head about things being competitive so it's nice to have people like supporting everyone and be like hey i want you to make it and here's a place to put your byline yeah and i mean well, I did. I did kind of a mini thing like that uh, for for last year when people had time, you know, when they were out of work and stuff. To uh, mm -hmm. had a when people were finding Tubi, I, I had a, a a thing that everybody would come, like a different person would come on each day to write about a movie that they found on Tubi, just to get people to check yep. out Tubi and cool. just to have a whole bunch of different voices. So if there was a point where somebody wanted to try and be like. Well, I don't know. I'd be like, hey, look at these people who threw in just for a day to to help out because they like this idea. Who says that you can't do it? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I did one for two, but you're not to be. It was yep. fun. And then, <laughs> and then everyone but went back to work and didn't have time. So we need to finish that because it was supposed to be uh, 30 <laughs> people over 30 days. And we got to 17. And then people were like, hey, man, I've, I've got too much going on. I'm like, why? I just want one nice thing. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, you also do the Horrorversary podcast. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that podcast? Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited because I'm I'm getting people together. So within the next like two, three weeks, we're going to uh, record a whole bunch more episodes. Uh, the byline that I tell everybody, it's a podcast celebrating horror movies, celebrating anniversaries. <laughs> and we don't go for any of the piddly 15, 27, 42 years. We, we stay hard and fast with just the 10, 20, 30, 40 uh, and 50 year anniversary. And that's because, as I say in every episode, if you look back at any uh, year in history, there is a horror film that's you know, needs to be rediscovered and that somebody's going to champion. So it's less about me and it's more basically a, a gush session for the person who comes on to talk about the movie, their love and just about what makes the movie great. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah. 
It's a lot of fun. What's what's one of your favorite episodes that you've recorded that people should check out? And not Terry's episode, so you don't feel frustrated. <laughs> Damn it! You're, that's that's the moment where I'm supposed to lead in and give Terry the great moment, and then you just went and ruined it. I had to. I was like, we can't, we can't, we can't pick Terry. He's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Terry did have a fantastic episode, though. We talked about Insidious. He did. I love that movie. Um, a phenomenal film. I if if I had to choose uh, a, a couple, because like, there's there's several that within this last year, I I normally try to do chunks of like twelve or twenty four, just so I don't like kill myself. And then the the type of people that I want to have on, I, I know I kind of have to to work around their schedule. But I I feel really lucky for for the people that I've got to have on. But last year. I did an episode on uh, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Two, uh, with with the the director uh, Patty Murphy, and just the fact that he wanted to do that, I'm like, yes, absolutely, I'm not going to say no to that because I, I want to be able to have you know something like that. I want to have a film that you don't think people are going to want to talk about and and get to have that conversation. I, I also uh, I have to call out this episode just because. Anytime this person is pressured about doing an episode of their own podcast, they actually mention being on mine. So <laughs> I get a couple people to listen to this episode. But uh, two years ago now, uh, Trace Thurman was oh, yeah. on talking about Sorority Row. Oh, yeah. Who's he loves that Who's movie. Trace? Who's that guy, Trace? Who the hell is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> he loves that movie. <laughs> He does. So, so so there's plenty of times on on Twitter that that people are like, "Hey, when are you guys going to do an episode on this?" And he's like, "Oh, actually, I was on this one talking about it." And uh but the one that I was really excited to get to do uh was uh an episode on Ginger Snaps with Meredith Borders. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. That's awesome. So that was that it was it kind of a shorter episode, but at the same time it was Talking ginger snaps and talking with Meredith Borders. I, I, how can I not be excited about that? <laughs> I mean, true on both on two accounts. Very Although I have true. to admit, I've never seen ginger snaps. Well, uh, what? you're I wrong. Know. For the number of times <laughs> that I have not seen something, Terry, come on now. <laughs> I was like, really? You're the one that's going to call me out, Mary Beth. I am. I am. I will take. <laughs> I'll this, carry you. I will. I'll t- call you out. I will take this very rare opportunity to call you out. I don't get it very often, so I'm taking it. Um. No, it's I. I, I it's not that I don't want to. It just hasn't come up. <laughs> I need to watch it. it, it wait, I'm, I'm sorry. It hasn't come up. So, it hasn't come up. Movie? Last year. Okay, last year at one point, it was on like four, I think four different it was. streaming sites. It was the 20th anniversary of the movie. <sighs> and you didn't take a chance. Listen, I have so many movies I got to watch. It's like. I just, I forget. I forget, Adrian. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's o- it's okay. I, I, I forgive you. No, Shame. I do. I do need to watch that one. I, I know I do. I know I do. I know I will love it when I watch it. Shame. Hey, listeners out there, if anybody, for whatever reason, happened to be scarred for life by ginger snaps, please <laughs> tell Terry. Please do. And ha- oh, my God, please come on the show because I don't talk about ginger snaps. <laughs> Thanks for pugging for You're us, welcome, Adrian. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for doing the cr- the crowd work, the audience work for me. Uh, love um, it. Anyway, um, Adrian, what movie are we talking about today? Speaking of ginger snaps, <laughs> what? Yeah, <it's> <laughs> I don't know. Oh. I don't know. 
We I, I brought society. Mm. Oh, society. Beverly Hills is known as a society of wealth and privilege, but Billy Whitney doesn't seem to be getting his share. He thinks everyone is out to get him, even his friends. You never were one of us. He thinks that he doesn't belong. And they don't even look like me. Why, why are you guys doing this to me, huh? He believes he's seeing things. Bad things. Beyond reality. Is it just his imagination? I'm not paranoid. All my fears are real. Or has Billy uncovered something terrible? Something unspeakable? Don't go home, Billy. What, you've been living with these people all your life and you don't know anything about this? If you don't follow the rules, Billy, bad things happen. You know you'll make such a great contribution to society. Who are you? And now, Billy. It's showtime, Billy! Is fighting for more than just his sanity. He's fighting for his life. The time is coming for Billy to take his place in society. It's all about fitting in. Quick synopsis of society. Uh, an ordinary teenage boy discovers his family is part of a gruesome orgy cult for the social elite. <laughs> there it is. That's 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 the IMDb plot synopsis for it. That's it. That um, doesn't tell you shit, but that is the, <laughs> that is the plot synopsis. So, Adrian, um, tell us when you about when you first saw this movie. How old were you? I'm dying to know. I just I need to know so bad everything there is to know about your experience with this movie. I don't know exactly what the year was. I know like roughly around when it was because of course it came out in the US in in 92. Right. So it's sometime around I'm going to say like maybe 94 or so. All I know is that the people who were watching it were watching it on a tape. Uh, I it, like they they had recorded it from somewhere. So I don't know where they had recorded it from. The two films that scarred me growing up were both not because of me trying to watch the movie. It's because of a family resort out in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota that my family used to go to where the parents would always, you know, do golfing or, or speedboating and stuff. And for the younger kids, they had counselors who would put together activities. Well, when everyone was eating dinner, the counselors would get together and would often watch movies and like the, the lower part of the, the main lodge house. But they would do so right next to where the game room was, where like the billiard tables were, where an altered beast cabinet was, where oh. golden tea was. And two different occasions, I was going down, going to the game room, and they had the door open. So, of course, as a curious kid and hearing that they're watching a movie, you want to peek your head in. The first time I did so was Puppet Master, when Pinhead is raising up out of a coffin and there is a person who gets their throat slit in an elevator. Mm. That's all I knew about the movie. <laughs> the second time was a couple years later when I come down the stairs, I hear some weird sounds <laughs> and I look in and there's the fucking shunting. The shunting. <laughs> Thank you, society, for, for teaching us the word shunting, by the way. There's the fucking shunting, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what Ew, I saw. That's 
You and just like stared it right in the face. Like you just turned the corner and it was there, just, just watching yeah, just you. It, and there's there's the old tube television that's on like a rollaway cart type thing that all these teenagers are gathered around, and I'm in the darkness in the corner just watching <laughs> this. Like, what I is? Mean- happening i think i kind of think that's the way to watch this movie right like in the dark corner it's just sort of like (laughs) almost illicit because the things that happen in this movie are ridiculous yeah yeah so i saw that and then ran out tripped falling up the stairs so one of the counselors came out and saw me and was like don't tell anybody what you saw (laughs) and even creepier like what the fuck like what did i see is that real this was on day three of a week at this place. Oh, so Jesus. No. For the rest of the time that I was there, I had nightmares not directly about the movie, but about this room and about the shunting oh. happening in that room. Oh, no. So I couldn't go and play the games that I wanted to oh, when no. I had the time and chance. Because all you could think about was shunting. <laughs> oh, no. That is some horrific David Lynch shit right there. All I yeah. can all I can think of is, is little Adrian going, but I want to play Altered Beast. <laughs> I did, god damn it. Why is from your grave? <laughs> that's when that's the shunting what... started. Um sorry, oh. that's <laughs> No, that's that's okay because the thing is is that society has has taken on uh, a, a life for me. Because, like, for lots of the people that I know you guys have on, it's like, that's the incident. They saw it, you know, they they had the issue, and then they move on, and they they go on with their life. And maybe they'll see it later as an adult, and they're like, oh, no, the, you know, things are great. I understand. I was, I was silly then. Not for me. <laughs> it's something that's plagued my mind. About, I think, 10, 15 years ago, um, I sat down and was like, I'm going to try to watch the movie. And again couldn't do that scene i could get through everything else but i was having problems and then it just plagued my mind and then over the years on twitter because of the people that i follow and am friends with there is probably at least once a month to once every two months society or the shunting ends up on my timeline (laughs) so it's constantly there it's constantly just clawing at my brain um, and then two years ago at Dismember the Alamo, the, it, of course, you know, when theaters were open, you could go to stuff like that, right. where they, they show you three to four movies. You have no idea what it's going to be. Oh, Made no. it to the first two movies. Uh, the second movie was a 35 millimeter showing of Life Force. So I was oh. just giddy and great. I walk outside, you know, to talk to people about everything that they're seeing, you know, having a good time. I come inside and my friends who host a, a local podcast uh, here, I'll give them a little shout out. Uh, the Nightmare Junkhead Nightmare podcast. Junkhead, yeah. Yeah. They, they were hosting it and they both knew about my issue. I come walking into the doors, into the theater, just as they're saying. And the third film is society. And I made the most cartoon pivot on my heel <laughs> and start to walk out. And Greg goes, Oh no, Adrian, Adrian. And had to come get me because I'm like, no, no, no. I'm in the second row, which is my favorite row because you can see everything great. And now this is going to be in front of my face. So we get to the shunting and I'm staring at my shoes, covering my ears, just in like the worst pain in the world. And it gets done. 
And Greg comes over and he goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And asks my wife, so how'd he do? And she goes, he didn't watch a fucking thing. (laughs) (laughs) And then this is where I have to ask Terry if if he was here for the final live moment terror of my life because i know that terry was at panic fest in town last year i was did you go to the shockwaves uh recording i did not i really wanted to go to the shockwaves recording but there was something else because i was i was doing it to review and there was a movie that was playing and i remember what movie it was now that i think about it but there was a movie that was playing that was like ah i really want to go see shockwaves but i have to go see this movie because i feel like i need to write about it Terry and I think I think Terry and I uh, may have met like 15 times without realizing possibly (laughs) without actually stopping and getting to talk to each other, because there was one point, I think, towards the end of the weekend, since I had to go back to work, that I saw him tweet something and like DM'd him and like, wait, are you here? (laughs) Uh, But the Shockwaves podcast they were doing on on body horror. Oh, and the very first Mm. thing that happens is uh, Elric. Kane comes out wearing a society shirt. (laughs) I bowed my head for a second and Greg was sitting with me and he just put his hand on my shoulder and shook his head. Alric gets to the number one body horror film that he wants to talk about. And then there again, there's the fucking shunting and they have the image on the giant movie screen right there. I have my head in my hands. I'm just shaking and very uncomfortable and greg is just laughing and having a ball next to me knowing what i'm going through uh the worst part of this is when the podcast was done i had to go up talk to the two hosts and stare the man wearing the shirt in the face because i was doing an interview with them for the pitch weekly for part of this big article that i did i'm like oh this is just this is wonderful wow Wow, I, the shunting really has wormed its way into your brain, huh? Just mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. you sure? <laughs> no, no, I think I killed him. It's it's like it's like uh, <laughs> Judge Carter just like is reaching up through you, uh, just uh, warming. So you guys, you, you, you guys want to talk about the movie, Adrian. right? Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, a long story short, there was a another film that we were going to do uh, that gave me a panic attack, but I technically have never seen that movie, so this this is this is the better option. And I'm, I'm, I'm really very, happy I'm that you did. Very glad that you chose this one because <laughs> Mary Beth, I know, had never seen it before. I had never seen it before. Um, Tell me everything. Well, okay, so like we're just going to be real, and hopefully, apologies to anyone who I'm listening who's my family. I don't do drugs. Made the worst decision. I smoked a bowl last night and was like, "This is like the good movie to watch while stoned." Oh no! It wasn't. <laughs> No. Yeah, she like <laughs> messaged me. She's like, so I'm watching this movie and and I'm and I'm stoned and I'm like, oh, I didn't write this. Picture. I was like, oh fuck, this is gonna be this is gonna be an experience. And it was through text, at least I have it to was, say. I wow. was just like sending him things in all caps. I absolutely loved it though. Like I adored it, which is really weird to say about a movie like this. But it is so bizarre. My favorite character is um what is her name? <gasps> is it Mrs. Carlin? Mrs. Carlin. Mrs. Carlin. Mrs. Carlin. Oh we Can have we to talk, talk about Mrs. About Carlin. Mrs. Carlin. Okay. So this movie, I was like, okay, so let me just give you my whole background with society. I knew nothing about it. I mm. for some reason didn't know anything about this movie. I didn't know what it was about. All I knew was that there was a guy who was a butthole. <laughs> 
all I knew about this movie. And so I, 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 I can't lie. It's what it was. And so I just, for some reason, like never thought about it and like never had any interest in seeing it. And I started watching it. I was like, oh, yep. This is not what I expected, especially with Mrs. Carlin, who is like a David Lynch character. You know, she was giving me, first of all, she's giving me like divine and hairspray realness. Yes. Mixed with like a Stepford mother, I guess. She is vacant and she is like brain dead, but she is also fabulous. She's trying to do the best she can. Okay. She's very hungry. I when, when she like p- puts her hands out and coughs out the hairball, she just like hands it to <laughs> she him. Offers it to Billy. I was just like, this movie is on a whole other level, and I really appreciate it. Like that moment, I was like, well, no, the the first moment was the opening credit sequence, and I was like, mm-hmm, okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> that, that's what I forgot about. That's what I forgot about. <laughs> so I wa- open with it, like it's just there. Well, you no, because I was led into the false sense of security because you've got the white uh, letters that are then turning into that you know pinkish and yellow hue for for a moment, and then it goes into a scene from the movie with the dream, and then it jumps into that, and we get to the actual opening credits, and I'm just sitting there going, "Oh, why already?" <laughs> uh, I mean. <laughs> I knew I knew that the Mary Beth is going to be in for a wild ride when like the first text I get from her is titties on her back. <laughs> and I was like, I, you know, I've only seen that this is like the second time I've seen this movie. And and I honestly could not remember the scene in, in the shower where he walks in on on his sister ish, I guess. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> she is like washing her back, which also has breasts and she's facing so it's like her head her breasts and her ass and i'm like wow that first of all that's that was a kind of a really cool effect they're doing but i completely completely forgot about that until (laughs) until i get that text from her that's a that's a wild thing to forget in this movie i mean in the in the grand scheme of things it's probably like the most normal aspect of this movie right (laughs) well i i think that's one of the things that Minus the shunting, I really like the movie <laughs> but because, again, we, we were talking earlier about, you know, how horror can be a whole bunch of things and how horror can try to, you know, work its message in different ways. And for society to partially be cartoonish helps them kind of weave that in. And that's one of the things that I always like for it is that that tone is not what you're expecting when you're going into it the first time. No, it definitely is not. I was like, wait, this is kind of funny and kind of weird and more surreal than I thought. I guess I just kind of assumed to be more serious. I don't know why, but it's very it feels like you're in a fever dream. <laughs> like the whole thing feels like an uncanny, like Lynchian nightmare until the end when it's obviously very awful. But like the like leading up to it, where you're just like, what in the fuck is happening? Like, it's just so surreal. Well, I think it does a good job of putting you in Billy's in Billy's shoes of like, yeah, you know, you're seeing little glimpses of weirdness happening. The parents in the garden with the slugs or the sister with the <laughs> the breasts on her back or like all these little tiny scenes that are like, what is, what is really going on here? And he's being told by his psychiatrist, the person you're supposed to trust that, you know, Oh, this is all, you know, this is all normal. And I, what I loved is, is this line about, well, you're not too paranoid. You just have the right amount of paranoia. <laughs> like <laughs> he's just like, he's, he's cool. just like trying to calm him, keep him under control so it kind of takes on almost in some ways a like a, a weird inversion of the the kind of drama slash comedy 
of the of the like the teen high school comedy where you have like him on the debate team going against <laughs> the nerd but like if this was like an 80s comedy he would be like the outsider but he's also like the hottest guy in school and he looks like he is cool but he's also being treated like he's not cool and the nerd is the guy that's cool. Like, so there's like these weird little inversions that are happening in here that I'm like, what is, what is really going on in this movie? Well, I, and I think it's, I mean, of course, once you find out what's going on towards the end and, and when it comes to Billy's actual lineage, it, it kind of uh, works in. And, and that's one of the things that's always stuck with me um, in the film, I guess, for how it connects to me on like an, an actual um, real life level and, and, and dealing with, you know, the society and stuff like that. And the way it is, is that I, on my side of the family have always been, uh, the black sheep and on my like aunt's family side, they very much were, uh, in this area, part of the, the high society, like mm. literally they were. And so like the, the coming out party that they're mentioning here, my, my cousin was somebody, you know, who was, chosen to be part of the debutante ball here and then jokingly hmm. a couple of years later when my grandma mentioned me they were like no he's going to bring a paul on the family and he would embarrass us at the which i'm glad that i would have you know i was viewed as an embarrassment so i didn't go to that but like <laughs> the way little pockets and and people and groups are viewed in here like with the the fact that uh oh god what's his name uh petrie you know if he's coming from uh, a certain family you know that has high standing and stuff uh, that the fact that he's, you know, trying to go for this position on on the debate team and then trying to be the president, he, he's being groomed for that. You know, he doesn't even though he's you know, he looks like the nerd and everything. If he's from the right family background, that's how he's getting to be part of the group. Yeah, I mean, that make that off. That makes perfect sense. It's just it's it's weird. And like when when you consider this as like the kind of 80s, because I mean, even though it was released in the 90s here in the United yeah. States, it was an 80s movie. But you think about like the 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 way the nerd was presented in the in the eighties mm -hmm. it, it's sort of like this in a way this movie feels like the antithesis to that which I I and I think it's it's like head to toe they they go for that you know with the the tone of the comedy mm -hmm. with the way certain people are are interacting with the way Bill is interacting with basically everybody that that he comes into contact even with people like I think the most normal interaction he has is with Milo so I, okay I had a clarifying question because I was a little bit confused at the end um. Which is relating to what we're talking about. So, okay. So, Bill is not their son, obviously. And he's correct? adopted, right? Mm -hmm. Adopted. Mm -hmm. So, just for my my own brain, they adopt these kids to eat them? I think it – I mean, it seems <laughs> it's, it's like, like that's that. The, like, that's the that's the simple as it is. They adopt poor kids to eat well, them? Okay. I, th I think that actually poses an interesting question that, that I'd be interested to see what you guys think about. I mean – what we we know that this is going on all throughout town and possibly you know a whole bunch of different cities you know th throughout the country we're, we're not really told i know that there's the sequel comic book but i've never read it but if bill didn't become suspicious of everything and start acting out the way he does over the course of this film do you think that they would have tried to um you know suck the essence from him the way that they do with blanchard see I, that's what i'm this is what I'm, I'm confused about with this movie is because like <laughs> I don't understand because the only people we ever see them feeding on is is Blanchard who we don't know anything about but like I, I can't imagine that 
these rich people would be sending their kids to a non-rich school. I mean, that, that seems like the antithesis of what, of who they are. So I'm like, who are these people at the school? What kind of school is this that you have like Blanchard who they're being, who's being fed on? Like what, what did he do? Was it just because he discovered what was going, I, I'm, I'm really confused. It, my theory, again, just projecting and going off of being tangentially connected to a world like that. I know this is a really weird conversation, so I apologize. I love it. If it's throwing anybody off. Uh, but okay, so the the idea with Blanchard is that Blanchard, of course, is an ex-boyfriend. From mm-hmm. the little pieces that, that we get in the film is that the parents told uh, Jenny that she had to stop seeing him, probably because he wasn't from the right social standing, oh. because of the way that they're mm-hmm. grooming her to be. Um, at the same time, for the high school thing, yeah, it, it, they do seem like the type of people who would be in a, um, you know, a private school. But at the same time, it depends on potentially where they live. The high school that I went to here in town uh, had a whole bunch of private schools that were around it, but we were considered the rich high school. And you had the dividing line that basically the only people who went to the school were the people who were, you know, super rich in, in the the area community. And then people who were, you know, on the, you know, the middle, middle class to, to lower class mm-hmm. who were in there, you know, oh. so, so you had a big giant dividing line, you know, you had the kids who like my first car that I barely had the money to get was a 1991 Crown Vic Ford LTD that was a shit brown color. Mm. (laughs) but but at the at the same time when i was going in and i was parking in the parking lot you had a whole bunch of kids who had beamers who had lexuses oh wow who had all those because of like how close it was like if you Mm -hmm. went one direction from the school you had you know smaller uh houses you know lots of you know apartments and, and stuff like that and then you went just a couple blocks the other direction you had all the mansions and everything okay so there's little pieces in here that i'm like okay that makes sense to me only because i've seen how how that stuff goes so like the blanchard part totally makes sense because i knew people like that in high school who you know had dated a girl you know when she was a freshman and stuff but then as it got you know as she became got close to being like a junior or a senior and her parents were like no these are the people that you need to spend time with this is what's going to get you ahead you have to you know break up with this person because they're not going to help you move forward wow huh wow that's weird <laughs> so <laughs> like, how, like like how even else do you say that like that's real like that shit is actually happening so huh. that that's why blanchard being at the beginning like yeah, he's going about things completely wrong, and and that's the way that you you have a slight distrust of the character when you first meet him. But once you figure out what's going on, because even Blanchard knows he's wrong, you know, and that he was in over his head making a bad decision, and and it's like, no, but you still need to listen to this because there's some weird shit going on. <laughs> yes, yeah, there is, yes, there is some weird shit going on. I'm also kind of curious about. Do, do they only have to feast once a year or? Okay. Thank you for asking this question because I was also wondering like the frequency because especially was it the, the judge is talking about his um beauty mark and then how he sucks up the beauty mark onto his face, which is <laughs> no, uh... disgusting. But like, it doesn't, 
I was wondering, does that mean like they get younger? Does it pres- keep them like a certain age? I guess there didn't really seem to be any rhyme or reason. It was just like when they felt like it is what I kind of got the vibe. Yeah, I kind of I wondered about that too. And like how Judge Carter was the one who was chosen. Is he just the, the leader of this subset of beings or is, does it coincide with the fact that um oh god why am i blanking on it that jenny just had her her coming out party like right is it is it something that when you have somebody who comes of age and becomes a new member of society that you have you know a yearly shunting uh for this to <laughs> to bring them into the fold literally god just bring them in just fold them on literally in. just literally fold them in um because i was i was thinking you know that's an awful lot of work to adopt someone and raise them to be 18 and then feast on them. Like that's just, that seems like at some point the the return on investment is just really out of whack. You've never shunted. Oh, I mean, (laughs) this is also very true. Okay. Terry, this means that you have a decision to make in 2021. You either have to shunt for the first time or watch ginger snaps. Uh, Ginger snaps. It Uh, is. So to say Terry, your birthday is this week. So, of the week we're recording this, so get to Shantan. <laughs> no, I, I will I will take oh time God. off of work and, no. and go watch uh Ginger Snaps. <laughs> Terry's birthday shunting. Oh god. Oh god. Oh shunt till you're forty. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You talked about you were joking about it. Forty you I'm sorry, I'm gonna stop now. Just the images. The <laughs> Oh, well, speaking of the images, uh what I did think was interesting <laughs> was uh the way that Salvador Dali actually uh, inspired the shunting. With, Screaming Mad George. With his uh, – Salvador Dali's painting, The Great Masturbator. Oh, all right. Well, we're going to look that one Which up I just put in our, in, our, in our comment in the, in the chat. Oh. There's an image for it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Great. Like you can, you can see kind of oh. um, where the inspiration went for the way that things kind of turn out. Yep. Yep, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm having flashbacks and terrified at the moment. I mean, if you were to say like there is a painting out there that is uh, emblematic of the the shunting, this is, I mean, this is kind of what I picture. Uh, not okay. enough pink. No, but this doesn't, uh, seem, this doesn't seem wet enough either. But okay, how many bottles of lube did they have to use in this movie? Oh. Okay, so I have. Can we just like break down what a shunting is? Because like. I know, I know what a shunting is here. I'm gonna see how many times I can say it before Adrian passes out or just logs <laughs> off of the call. Do we? Do we? Do we have to do this? If you're, if you are sincerely uncomfortable, I will not do it. We're talking about the shunting. How could anybody not be uncomfortable? <laughs> well, like emotionally and personally, I just want to make you comfortable I, on our show. I, I, I think <laughs> if you're involved with a shunting, you're both physically and emotionally at odds. <laughs> So, but okay, so yes, okay. yes, we can discuss um, the shunting. Shunting, they all come together in this big pile of flesh. They all come together. Gross, gross, gross. Um, okay, so <laughs> my question here is the purpose. Yes, they suck the life out of someone. Is it also they're getting sexual pleasure out of it too? Is that correct? I would say so. I would say that it is a sexual act that also involves um mastication yes but here's the interesting thing that i wanted to well no because i because i was curious because it was like yeah you could easily you know see if does anybody have 
an answer for this online. But of course, when because I put in what is the shunting and the first thing that pops up, and this is just in general, so you think that it would have to be somehow tangentially connected to this, is a shunt is a hollow tube surgically placed in the brain or occasionally in the spine to help drain uh, cerebrospinal fluid and redirect it to another location in the body where it can be reabsorbed. They're mm. clearly taking taking something from the individuals and redistributing it, whether it be, you know, essence or, or health or something that, that I don't know. Yeah. It's also a push or pull a train or part of a train from the main line to a siding or from one track to another, which doesn't mean anything with this movie, but that is also a yeah. definition of it. Uh, Wikipedia, so, you know, we can't necessarily say if it's who it's coming from, uh, but they're saying that it's the nutrients Mm. that they're taking. But we have the beauty mark, so. So I guess I had this really, like, fucked up idea in my head is that they weren't necessarily, like, consuming people for, like, health or for, like, the obviously immortality or, like, youth but more for like they wanted to taste their suffering and they thrive off of the suffering of others and they have to consume it like entirely so they're like cenobites yeah i was stoned i know but it felt (laughs) so take it with a grain of salt but it felt to me a little bit more than just like eating people to live because they didn't look at it like they were so old There, there was a whole age range so i thought oh did they just like eating people like eating the suffering of the poor or like lower economic classes then you've got that strange that i picked up on i think i've picked up on it each time and i'm mad that i never get an answer but you have that scene early on where they're talking about uh the slugs that they're looking at are those are those necessarily for gardening and i don't know anything about gardening well there is a scene at the end in the right before the shunting begins where they are serving slugs on a tray to be I guess, consumed. Like there is someone walking around with hors d'oeuvres of slug on a tray that, that he bumps into. So what do they get from that necessarily? I don't know. But because they, they talk about what a great or that this is the best crop that they've ever had. Maybe they are slugs. <laughs> is this so really they're, a, they're cannibals? A, a war of, of slugs versus worms? Because like the imagery mm. of worms shows up an awful lot in this. And even yeah. like, like when he flips him inside out. Okay, which was an awesome moment, by the way. I screamed. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. By the way, I wanted to I wanted to back up just a brief second to say that I did find the ultimate definition for what a shunting is. It is courtesy of Urban Dictionary. Oh. And it is a term people that play Pokemon Go use for when they go shiny hunting. Usually late at night where they won't be judged for being absolute virgins. So that's um that's Urban Dictionary for you. What a what a a malleable word. (laughs) Yeah, it's everywhere. So so the answer, Terry, is that it can be whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want to be. Your birthday's coming up, so you can shunt however you want. I don't think I will be using that word (laughs) in conjunction with my birthday or anything to do with myself. Terry's fortieth birthday, shunt however you want. Oh dear God. I'm so glad this is coming out like way after my birthday. <laughs> I know it's gonna be great. It's so exciting. It's gonna be very funny. But um, okay, so getting pulled inside out—it's <laughs> amazing. I love that moment. I, I was absolutely 
obsessed with the effects in this movie. Like yes, Scr- screaming Mad George. I mean, as as Mad much George, yeah. as it 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 pains me to physically see it on screen. Um, I <laughs> screaming Mad George. I think is one of my favorite effects artists of of all time, just because of. The lengths that he goes to to make something that is going to make you feel uncomfortable or that you've never seen before. Yeah. Because while I can't do this scene, I have no problem with Slither. And I think that's because Slither is is CGI uh, at the, you know, the finale Mm. of, of the film. But here, because it's practical and you can feel the goopiness and you see the man's face sticking out of the butt... And you see the faces contorting and just how everything's happening that that it's hard to get out of your mind and process because you see it happening and you know that there's there's no wires uh, that's right there that you know that there's no you know CGI overlay to it and that that is happening that even if it's you know prosthetics that are on people's faces like when they're they're licking each other and licking the face and uh-huh. everything's going on with Blanchard that actor had to go through that. Yeah. So wait, how do you feel about the thing? I love the thing. Uh, Okay. The the best part of that uh, dismember that I mentioned earlier was that directly after the shunting, uh, when Greg came over and, you know, asked how I was doing, he said, don't worry, everything's going to get better. And that's because the last film they showed was a 35 millimeter print of the thing. (gasps) And the thing is one of my favorite. I I don't necessarily say it's like the number one, but I would definitely say that the thing is in like my top five all time horror films. Did you see it at the Music Box in Chicago? No, no. This, this was in, in Kansas City at the, oh, Kansas the City. Trap Sorry. House. Yeah. Sorry. We saw, I saw that in Chicago and it just made me think of it. At the Music Box, that would have been amazing. Yeah. So, okay. So you have a very interesting relationship with body horror. I'm fascinating. I think, oh, I, I, I think it's like in the thing, while you – how it contorts itself in times, it it's still not keeping – human characteristics okay. i think if that makes sense okay no that does make sense like like they they still resemble humans even when they're doing the stuff when um the thing when things are are changing it's enough that it's changing into you know close to to whatever it actually is it's it's moving away from from the the human characteristics okay well that makes sense kind of going back to the screaming mad george connection i mean his work i think his work is so effective because it I think you mentioned Adrian that he shows things that you don't you've not seen before but he does it mm-hmm. in such a way that it feels real. I'm thinking about in particular cuz he did Mary Beth the the cockroach scene in Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Like he did that effect. <gasps> oh Okay. With like yep. his arms, her arms falling off, and all that kind of like that is the most horrific moment of that of that movie. Mm-hmm. That and is I think it's fucking one of, awful. I think it's one of the best effects in that in that whole series. Honestly, it's because it's so. I agree. Again, along with what he does here in society, it's so goopy and it's so feels so grounded and real, even though it is the yeah. most surreal moment that happens in in the nightmare on elm street film the the one that comes to to my mind i believe it's screaming mad george so i don't want to get this wrong but um silent night deadly night four yeah i was someone told me on twitter that that if i liked his work in 
hear that I should watch that movie. I've not seen it. Yeah, because it, it's got a couple scenes that that definitely have body horror. Like it, it's a weird section where the movie just kind of goes off the rails, and you're like, oh yeah, you've got the the director of society, and you've got screaming mad George. Some really weird stuff is is happening here. But I mean, I didn't have an issue with with that when I watched that for the first time in December. But I think it's I it might be part of the goop and how many people are involved and seeing it as a small child and you can't really explain what it is. There's no way you can explain what this is, especially to a young kid. I I, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine my introduction to this movie is walking down and seeing this. What is happening? Like, I honestly think that would have broken my, my brain as a kid. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe that explains why I still love horror in the weird way and the weird stuff that I watch now. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, the the part that like gets me now as an adult too um, is kind of related to the shunting, and also I wanted I want listeners to tell us how many times we say shunting in this episode. Yeah, please <laughs> get on that, JD. <laughs> uh, oh my god, he actually uh, counted how many times we said Carol Ann in the Poltergeist episode. By the way, oh, you you guys sent me down a a very uh, not so much painful but terrifying path uh, when I was when I saw that's what you guys were doing and talking about that because on the podcast that I mentioned earlier, uh, Phantom Zoned, we did do Poltergeist three when we were doing a series of threes, and my co-host had a soundboard set up with Carol Ann clips. <laughs> oh Lord! So anytime one of us said Carol Ann. They had to press the button. Oh Lord! Oh my God! It's I. I tried going back and listening to it, and I'm like, oh, you can tell that I have no idea what's going on, and I'm losing track, and I'm rambling about <laughs> this movie that at points doesn't make sense to begin with because every like minute or so, there's I don't know where this sound effect is going to come from or what it's going to be. So trying to explain a movie while that's going on is terrifying. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but uh tangentially related to the shunting though is um <laughs> the scene where he goes upstairs to find his mom in bed with man arms for legs i'm, I'm gonna i feel like i'm gonna be sick just thinking about it. and she's writhing in bed and like she gets up and then climbs over his body Stop. until her oh, crotch God. is next to his face <sighs> and then thank you Thank you. Her Thank sis you, Mary his Beth. sister's Thank head pops out of her crotch. Oh. I'm like, this is almost worse than the entire shunting sequence. The amount of psychosexual and like incestual stuff that is going on at this point. That I think is something that I wasn't that was so uncomfortable in this movie because there's a lot of incest in this movie. <laughs> there's there's so a much. lot of incest in this movie, and I one was not expecting it, and two, it's like it's it, it's such a. <sighs> So obviously incest is a very big taboo. And when incest is in movies like this, it's usually like, oh, God, ew, gross, like people under the stairs or wrong turn or something like that. Like incest is always so gross. But in this one, it's sexy. And I think that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, good. To put I'm... it lightly, like, guys, incest is uncomfortable to see when it's really sexy. <laughs> thank for, first of all, thank you for ending with it being uncomfortable and not just going, here, incest is sexy. <laughs> and then just having there be dead air. Cause that... I'd be like, thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, oh. it, that, was my, that was my one thought <laughs> when he walks in before, like, the craziness happens. And 
he walks into the bedroom and his his mom is split out on the bed. His sister is sitting there like half naked while her while his dad is giving her a massage. This movie likes to, to kind of poke at those uncomfortable layers. This is a weird tableau that like if you were to take out the the familial aspect would be something that would be made for titillating. And yet this is like, as you said, incest and it's really gross it's really gross and also i think something that like, leading up to seeing this movie i looked at a couple things on letterboxd and people were saying it was so slow leading up and granted it's a very different tone than the last <laughs> 15 or so minutes <laughs> but i think it's really in, like even creepier because like i think you said this earlier terry you can get we get really into bill's head but also, like, there's some really insidious things being dropped the entire time about, like, what is going on here. And it is just so mm-hmm. creepy. And then just having it culminate in this gross skin orgy just feels – feels it feels worth it. I, again, again, weird to say, but it's like, okay, yeah, uh-huh. This is where this was worth like all of the weird kind of bizarre, uncanny build up to this just absolute like shit show. Uh, the first two, two thirds is almost the body snatchers, right? It's it's almost mm-hmm. like things are happening, people aren't exactly who they say they are. Like it, it takes on that sort of like paranoid thriller of the the kind of seventies that that were that was popularized at that time, the late late sixties and early seventies. But then it just takes it a step further or uh, 20 steps further maybe I, by the, I think by it the finale. jumps into another dimension it just like goes whoop well I, I think that that poses a, a an interesting question that that i didn't give a lot of thought of till watching it again for this time which this is only the third time i've seen the movie complete start to finish but how do you guys feel about uh the budding relationship with clarissa Ooh, good question clarissa yeah I, I'm confused. I, <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm confused about, I, I'm, I don't know. Like at, at some points she is presented as like the temptress where she's like seducing him at the, the debate team by doing a basic instinct, uh, Su- Sharon Sarandon like oh, yes. moment of uncrossing her legs. And then you meet her, her mother that is completely empty inside and has a hair obsession and then by the end of it she's trying to save him so i'm i'm (laughs) but she also seems sort of like not part of the society while at the same time part of the society because like she has the the black hair whereas like most of the people in in the film are like blondes or brunettes it almost seems like the film is trying to single her out but at the same time she is in the tent with Ted Ferguson, who is like the kind of the kind of gets pulled inside out by the end of the movie. I'm really kind of confused about how she fits into the whole story, to be perfectly honest. It's the same with with Milo, too. Yeah, it feels like they wanted to have these like to me. OK, there's two things. One, I felt like, OK, like she's like a weird closest, like this weird outlier who like stands for the outliers in society who want to help the other ones come in. And then. No, I think they just wanted to write a love interest or some kind of like cool, like dramatic person who is one of the bad people but wasn't want to be bad, and they just lost the thread. <laughs> like it feels like they were trying to ch- like jam too many characters, I think, into the film, and like kind of lost all of their narrative threads at one point, and we're like, ah, oh, just they'll just appear. I don't know. That's how it felt to me. Do you think it lessens things at all, or does it not bother you in the long run? I don't think it bothers me because it feels 
like it feels silly and this whole movie has that like dark and silly like kind of vibe to it it's like milo randomly appearing and all of a sudden with like mrs fuck carlin 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 and dragging her into the bushes and beating up a cop. Like, it just, again, I keep calling this, like, David like Lynchian, which I know is very, like, trite. But it just felt so surreal. Like, people just appeared out of nowhere. And then they were gone. And you're like, okay, that's fine. And then they came back. And you're like, that's right. That's how this movie goes. People just disappear and come back willy-nilly. I don't know if that makes any sense. It, do- it does. I mean, w- with making the David Lynch connection, of course, you have something like Blue Velvet that, that yeah. comes to mind. And which is yes. another, you know, digging you know, under the surface of, you know, polite society and neighborhoods and stuff like that, and just how weird things can, can be. And of course, just that, that out of left field, and things not feeling uh, on the level or in this dimension that that uh, Lynch, you know, works within. And plus, uh, uh, as we've mentioned many times, the tone is never what you're expecting from a film like this. In fact, uh, what I was trying to find is someone on Twitter when I was when I was tweeting that I was watching this and I said that this movie still slaps, I'm excited to chat about it. They responded, it slaps so hard that I'm always totally willing to forgive the bizarre knots it twists itself into to get to that big finale. And I I think that that's a a valid comment about the way the movie tries to lead us to what I think Yuzna really wanted to do was film that finale. And so I feel that there (laughs) might be some moments in, in that, in that first two thirds that might not completely make sense, but it was like a plotting way to get to what he really wanted us to see, yeah, which is I the great masturbator that. come to life. <laughs> and like, honestly, that's, it's worth it. I see. No, I mean, like it's... so many of us, I mean, it scared the shit out of you, Adrian. You can't even watch it anymore. <laughs> you could never watch it in the first place. Really? Um, we still are talking about it. Like I posted about it too. Everyone was like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're watching it. I'm like, well, how bad could it be? It didn't stop. It just went on for so long. Deshante. The most frightening it- image for me, though, was the image of Judge Carter with the cigar in his mouth, the full-on image of him like m- walking towards the camera. And it's like he's oh! so sweaty <sighs> and so gross and so covered in lube that it is just – it is that moment, like when I was watching this last night, I was like, oh, this is like – more upsetting to me than anything else. Just the leering look on his face as he is yeah. covered in like slick. <laughs> what did that room smell like? You think? Oh, I don't want to know either what it smelled like in the movie or what it smelled like to film it. I can't. Yeah, I was going to say all uh, that either, either one. Just... I think the worst thing about this watch was uh, having captions on when I was watching it <gasps> and squelching. Uh, oh, to, don't, oh, don't say it. <laughs> squelching <laughs> uh, if you if you're over or over under on how many times you use squelching in closed captions for a film is over 25 that's that's too much that's way squelched. too much Everything squelched. Wow. walking down the street squelching like <laughs> um anyway on that happy um, note on that happy note, do we want to wrap this up and give us our rating at a five? That sounds this great. Gushy, squishy movie. <laughs> All right, Terry, um, how many bottles of lube out of five do you give society? <laughs> well, I don't know Come how on. many bottles of lube. 
how many bottles of lube were used in the movie of society but i think i would give it four and a half uh maybe four and a half like million bottles of it based on how wet everything looked but four and a half <laughs> for sure is the number that i would i would include i think this this movie you know the first two thirds might drag a little bit in some spots and yeah everything might not add up in the end and obviously it left us with a bunch of questions but the power of this final 30 minutes and the what the fuckery it brings to mind you know it's one of those things where i and i meant to bring this up earlier i never saw this as a kid but what i do remember is seeing the box in in the vhs mm. store and it's a <laughs> kind of a dumb looking box it's it's just a woman that's like she's stretching something and it looks like her face and a man is standing behind mm. her. So it's like not a very evocative cover compared to like the covers that Arrow would put out later on that it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It's one of those rare occasions where the cover of the movie is worse than the actual movie where so many movies from those 80s that like I would watch, I would be so mm. obsessed over the cover on and I'd finally see the movie and I'd be like, oh, well, that was kind of dumb. That was no, that did not live up to the cover. This is a movie mm. that exceeds that cover. So for me, I would give it 4.5 bottles of lube out of five. What about you, Mary Sweet. Beth? I would also give it four and a half bottles of lube out of five. I'm really glad I knew nothing about this. All I all I knew was the butthole, <laughs> and I'm glad that's all I knew. This was amazing to watch for the first time. It's just worth every minute. I think I also think the the slower parts leading up to it are really fascinating and like are a very weird, uncanny, like detective-esque story. Like you said, like a paranoid thriller that I really loved. Mm-hmm. I wish that I had been around when this first came out and no one knew it was happening at the end because boy oh boy, I would have loved to just gone in there absolutely blind and not knowing and seeing the end of that movie would have been a life changer. But yeah, this is a very cool, weird movie that i'm excited to watch again which is again i know adrian does not feel that way but (laughs) so adrian you have the final say how many bottles of lube out of five do you give society you know (laughs) if i (coughs) sorry i was i was squelching (laughs) (laughs) the shunting has begun just just squelching all over the place Um, oh, don't die. I'm really don't sorry. Die for this wow. movie. I don't know. No, I will not. I will not. I'll do anything <laughs> for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> do anything for squelch. Oh, nightmares all over the place. Um, so if, I, if I'm being completely honest about the film, minus the shunting, I, I, I really like it. This is the type of horror film that I think is easy to, to show lots of people. It's it's going to let them definitely know if it's their you know bag or not. But um, <laughs> I love everything that it's doing from uh, the the tone shifts from like like you mentioned having the detective story to it, having the pieces that do hit home. If you're somebody who's you know had a family who's been you know a, a part of society and stuff like that, that it's really weird and fun in that way that so many different late eighties, early nineties films you know de- definitely dive into. It's the type of film that earns its cult status when you see it because it's not just the shunting that's a little bit off everything in the movie is off just enough to feel like nothing else you've really seen and i think it stays you know relevant till today with you know comments that it's making about society in general and and with these people you know who are thought to be the elite and yet this is what they're engaging in you know to either 
I don't know if it's retained power or gained power because we're not really sure which nutrients are being taken. <laughs> but it's it's a it's a really successful film and and I enjoy it minus the part that I can't watch. <laughs> so I'll still give it um, you know four bottles of lube. Awesome, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> they need all the lube they can get. They Adrian. need all of the lube they can get. Ah, <laughs> uh, geez. Well, thank you so much, Adrian, for joining us to talk about society. I am glad that, that you managed to get through it. Where uh, where can listeners <laughs> find you, and what do you have coming up you'd like to share? You can find me uh, squelching in the corner <laughs> into <laughs> oblivion, apparently. <laughs> Oh no! Or or you can find me on Twitter at yo Adrian Torres uh, <laughs> for be a better the better place. Yeah, if you, well, I mean it's Twitter, so I don't know how much better it is. There's probably a lot of <laughs> squelching going on there too. Sure oh Jesus! Every day they're it's... squelching. Oh, it's Terry, why? <laughs> Every day I'm squelching. That doesn't fit very well, but <laughs> sorry. Now, now I'm going to have nightmares about those hamsters from the commercials no, in the shunting. No. Oh God, in those, uh, in those cars, those shunting Kias. hamsters. No, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Adrian. So it's, yo, it's, you're at guys, yo, I think this is the grossest episode we've ever done. I think. <laughs> I think it might be the grossest one. Quite possibly. <laughs> but yes, uh, yo, Adrian Torres on Twitter for the podcast. It's at Horrorversary. Uh, for the website at Boom Howdy, there's going to be b- plenty of exciting things coming in the next couple months on both sides, and hopefully you guys will be able to to be involved with some of the fun stuff too. We would love to. I would love to. Just me, not Terry. Just me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, listeners, you've heard from us, but uh, we want to hear from you. What was your experience with society? And I know a lot of you have feelings about it, so please so let, us, let know. us know. You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm McAley Dreadful. And of course, make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And don't forget to review, squelch, and subscribe. Oh, Jesus Christ. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you to everyone for listening. Stay safe out there. Keep squelching. But most importantly, stay creepy. <laughs> Until next time. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. 
Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.